Hello and welcome folks to the Owl Vision Justice Podcast from Open Wise Learning. This is where we explore STEM diversity and the intersections of social justice, ecological justice, and STEM. I'm Roger Nathaniel Ashtier, the Executive Director of Open Wise Learning. Hi, I'm Daniela Ashtier, the Operations Director of Open Wise Learning. This week we'll share our view of what's in the news and what's on our minds, and we'll share our STEM spotlights. So without further ado, let's start with our view. So Daniela, this week I wanted to talk about something else, but over the last seven days, start if you start from Monday, we've had seven shootings, mass shootings in the U.S. So I, I thought we should probably speak about that, the many issues related to that this week. Yeah, I guess it's when I heard that and the fact that I hadn't heard something like that in about a year it made me realize that the pandemic, I guess an externality of the pandemic is this pause button America has had on our dismal mass shooting statistics. And unfortunately, as things are open up again, what America is, is famous for or infamous for is immediately back on track. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I've heard some similar analysis over the last week that, you know, people seem to be thinking that the pandemic is over, which it is not. We're not anywhere near herd immunity, but they're, <laughs> but they're resuming their normal activity. And what's, what's unfortunately normal in this country is mass shootings at least every week. And in the past week, we, we got it almost every day. So unfortunately, people are out. And they're doing what Americans do, unfortunately, with their fascinations with gun arms. And add to that, the shooting last week had racial components. I guess many of these mass shootings have racial components because the way that mass shootings are handled or covered, rather, by the media and also handled by law enforcement differs depending on the race of the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Last week, when the Atlanta shootings occurred when six Asian women were killed in the first 24 hours, I heard more about the shooter than I did the victims. And that happens often when these incidents happen for some reason, the the, the victims get lost and we hear all about the shooter. Not only that, when it's usually a white perpetrator, we hear excuses for the violence and sometimes, as happened last week, local law enforcement tries to explain the incident without factoring in race. So mm-hmm. last week we heard we heard that this guy was sexually frustrated or something, and it didn't have anything to do with the fact that these women were Asian. But, I mean, hate crimes have multiple dimensions. Even if we were t- going to take the word of a murderer, if he killed those these women because he was sexually frustrated, that would be a gender hate crime. So I don't understand. And, and even if that was the case, people can be more than one thing. He could be sexist and racist. Like yes. it doesn't negate uh, multiple reasoning for his, his hateful act. And to your point he, as uh, how the media treats white perpetrators of these times, I really agree with you. It's as if they start off from the the point of view that this person is sympathetic and then they, they happen to do these bad things as opposed to when it's another race automatically, like they are quote unquote bad and 
it's not until later on we find out things that may make them sympathetic. It kind of works in the reverse. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, depending on the, 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 which side of the color line you, you fall on the meme that I saw last week is either you're, you've had a bad day or you're a bad person. <laughs> If you're like yeah, the, the, guy, the guy, the guy, the color spectrum, and they're holding it up against yeah. the Family Guy yeah. the main character. It's like that meme works for so many things. It's like terrorist, not yeah. terrorist, bad guy, bad day. It's it, it's completely like you're right. It's, it's completely which line the, the color the color line that you fall on. Yeah, how they treat the the perpetrator is one aspect of this, and then the other aspect of this is is like uh, as I touched on the gaslighting of 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 communities of color. So I don't think, and I think a lot of people of color would agree with me that white people should be defining what racist is, seeing as how they don't, they don't suffer from the, the oppression of racism. And for some, that might be a controversial statement, but it's quite simply the truth because white people cannot suffer from systemic racism because there are there are no systemic systems that oppress white people in this country, so having them define what what are, what isn't what is or isn't racist is problematic on its face, regardless of whether or not they think that they have the right to do that because of you know said racism. So there's all these calls last last week that you know we're rushing to judgment, and I mean the senator Senator Tammy Duckworth was very vehement about this this weekend saying you know this is obviously a racial racial was racially motivated i'm not sure what this debate is about and, sen- and senators from georgia such as as warnock reverend warnock is also are also saying similar things yeah and to the point as far as the the majority um the majority general white population as far as what they can say as what racism is they can only say what racism is as racism is taught. And I'm going to be very general and say that the racism that is, that is taught in schools is people in white hoods lynching people, people writing slurs, people burning crosses. It's like in-your-face racism. The nuances and the layers of racism are not taught. And so it's harder for people who don't experience those other levels of racism to say that those things are racism. So for the general educated white person who thinks they know what racism is, this white guy went and he killed these Asian women, but you know, he didn't call them slurs. He didn't, he didn't burn down and graffiti their walls with slurs. So to them, like, that's not racism. Just because he's thinking about all women of a certain race, that can't possibly be racism because he didn't yell anti-Asian slurs while he was murdering them. So I feel like a lot of yeah. the, the things that people experience on a day-to-day basis, because they're not seen, because they're not documented on a grand scale, because there are no red flags attached to them, it's harder for people who don't experience them to, to realize that these things count. Yeah. I mean, put even more succinctly the, 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 than the, that I was saying earlier, the comedian Dale Hughley said it best even before the most recent racial protest over the last year. I think sometime in like in 2019, he said that white people can't define racism because historically they've been pretty bad at it. And Mm -hmm. you can just look at the last year as an example of that. A lot of things that people that were obviously racist before 
the the murder of George Floyd last year are only occurring to white people that they're racist now. So the the brands are changing their names. People who had high positions are losing their jobs. But they were racist before the global protest. So people in power were bad at at noticing that these things were racist, obviously. And these people in power, these people in power predominantly are white people. So it's really difficult for people of color to hear from from the white community that we should, you know, sit down and factor in their opinion on what is racism, seeing as how they seem not to be able to see it when it's clearly in front of them for years now. Right. And so and the other the other aspect of this story, of course, is this guy didn't commit this crime in a vacuum, right? He committed it in a, in a year where Asian-American hate crimes have increased by 149% since March of last year, around when the pandemic started, and our former president started calling the virus by derogatory terms that would make it okay to target Asian Americans. So it's it nothing none of none of this happens in a vacuum. And there are the prominent commentators that are jumping on the bandwagon right now saying, you know, stop Asian hate. But around this time last year, they were saying, well, you know, calling it the China virus is fine because that's where it came from. And I'm thinking it's very similar to people who didn't see what they were doing that were ra- that was racist before George Floyd's murder, and now and then they they because of a popular movement in another direction. Now they quickly and and miraculously see their racism. I think it's mm-hmm. performative in a lot of situations. Yeah, and I think when people first started objecting to him using the locality and naming the virus, they pointed out like, oh, well, in the past they used to name the virus. They named it, you know. Spanish flu, or they named it the West Nile virus. And I'm like, well, first of all, they, I think was it the CDC or the World Health Organization, I forget which, actually went back and they they made an official decision to stop naming viruses from their location. Mm-hmm. And so it's like they're using erroneous historical information to, to validate the, the continued misnomer, the racial misnomers. Yeah, and it's also it's also ahistorical. They're basically trying to cover their their racism. The Spanish flu was called the Spanish flu because Spain had the only press that would report on the flu. It actually showed up first in the U.S. So if they were going to name it, if they're going to name it, right? Yeah, sorry, I uh, about uh, the Spanish flu. Yeah, that that was yeah. Wrong about the name so there so well. so there there was a lot there was a lot of press suppression back then, and Spain was the only was the only press that actually reported on it. So that's why it got that, that got the name the Spanish flu. So it had nothing to do with where it originated. I think that people throw out those bad faith arguments because they don't want to change and they they want to continue using their dog whistles. Even though they know that it causes harm to certain communities, yeah, and it's it's twenty twenty one. Like, can we stop pretending that words don't matter and that words that people in power use don't matter? Like, who are you fooling anymore with that line? Yeah, I hope things get better over the next couple months as we have a new administration, but. There are so many people that were emboldened by the previous administration in this rhetoric, and there are certain and and, and and there are even people who would be ostensibly on the side of the side of, of right or the or the side of, of, of rationality that 
as I said, we're, we're questioning whether or not the shootings last, last week were racially motivated. So I don't know how or, or if this gets resolved or if things get better in the short term without real dialogue around race in, in a substantive way. We're coming up on the next couple in the next couple of months, we're coming up on the anniversary of the, the murder of, of George Floyd by the police. And we really haven't had a lot of like in-depth analysis or conversations about race in this country. I, I think that we've had protests. We haven't had a whole lot of policy written. And I think nothing well, like... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, interrupt. I, I, like, I feel that like we get stuck in the, was it racist or was it not racist? And because we get stuck there, we can't have the in-depth conversations about race and, and racism that would, that would lead to policy change and actual change in this country. Because whether it's deliberate by the, by the racist side, they, they stick us in this, in the, they stick us at the point where we're, we're still debating whether it was racist or not. And if you're stuck, right. even defining if it was racist or not, you can't actually discuss the racist act and why it was racist and why it shouldn't happen, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yes. I, I think what we what we really need is something like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I mean, that that not like that, but something like that, a commission set up to actually to tackle these issues. But we really can't ever get there if there are a portion of the political class who actually has power well, denies that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Denies that that systemic racism is is an issue, or denies that systemic issue, racism even exists. It's difficult to come up with a plan to tackle a problem if a good portion of people with political power can't agree on what the problem is. Right. Meanwhile, people are suffering because the people in charge <laughs> can't agree. <laughs> Yeah, this has been the history of this country for some time now. I think that the best way forward is how we, I guess, proceeded in 2020, speaking truth to power and also pushing for voting reforms and and, vote, and, and voting people into office who we have to keep accountable after we vote them into office. So I think that's something that even if you're not a voting age, you can do. Speaking to your speaking speaking to elected individuals, elected officials. Speaking speaking to elected officials, and if you're voting age, you definitely can speak to elected officials and demand more of them. And once they're voted into office, continue demanding more of them. That's not the civic responsibility isn't over because just this issue and so many others, politicians need to be constantly prodded sometimes to get, to do the right thing. I mean. It's just the, the the nature of our political system here in the U.S. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. One additional point I wanted to add, we started off talking about the mass shootings in general. I have a bad feeling about the direction of, I guess, mass shootings in America. Coming off of 2020, I think America is in a very precarious situation where the general mental health of the populace is kind of is very sensitive right now. And mm-hmm. people who, who may not have had access to mental health advisors, medications, anything across the spectrum, the reintroduction of interactions out in society, 
I think people are more sensitive. They're going to react more harshly. To be volatile. I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. And whether someone, you know, has mental health issues or not, I think even a person who doesn't necessarily have a, you know, quote-unquote diagnosis, everyone's just a little bit on edge. Mm -hmm. And with the access and lack of screening and lack of barriers to getting guns, and and I believe there there was an increase in gun purchases over um, the past year or so. Yeah. I think the seven shootings in seven days, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg as as the country continues to open up. Typically, there are increases in gun purchases after a shooting. And there are definitely, in the Obama years, there were definitely increases in gun purchases as well. And a lot of these shootings, like the one in Colorado, are have been perpetrated with AR-15s, which, I mean, they're, they're, this is a, a large, a larger debate that will take even longer than we actually have to speak about it today. But AR-15s are military weapons that, that shouldn't, it sh- shouldn't even be a big debate whether or not they should be legal. And I read recently that the, the ban on assault rifles, I guess the legislation that enforced that, they let that expire. They didn't renew it. Right. So under the Bush administration, it was it expired and predictably mass shootings increased after that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is a multifactorial issue that makes it difficult to to talk about. If you can't get on the same page, there's a problem. And this is similar to the race issue. If you can't get onto this, get get on the same page, there's a problem. You can't really solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We will revisit this because we're not going to solve this tomorrow or t- today, and it will come up again. So, But I think we should move on to our STEM spotlights for the week. All right, Daniela, what do you have this week for your STEM spotlight? So we definitely need a bit of good news this week, and I learned that the NASA Mars rover, the newest one named Perseverance, has a little surprise attached to it. I was reading earlier that there is actually a helicopter, a separate entity that was attached to the rover, and the rover is on its way, it's making its way now to kind of like a helipad launching site, and they're hoping to be ready in the next week or so, early April, to have the first powered flight on a distant planet, which is kind of cool. And just just knowing the, how much work it it has to have taken to, you know, to figure out, yes, the basic physics of, you know, an entity and a propeller, but you're, think, you're talking about an atmosphere and an environment that is vastly different than, than any other powered flight that's ever been constructed before. You got to take in, you know, the extra gravity, the thin air, the... The, even the you know the temperature differences, all of that stuff that had to be calculated. It's really fascinating, and I really hope it works out. It'd be really cool to see, you know, pictures from a little flying vessel and all the data you can send back to Earth. Hmm. I wonder if they took it. So I know that for this rover and also the previous rover, they had a sky crane, but that was the sky crane was higher up in the atmosphere than than something that would be, I guess, closer to the ground to terrestrial. With the right. um, yeah, so this with, is flying not in you know not in subspace or anything. It's flying within the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. 
to hope maybe the, the information that they got from doing the sky crane and doing it successfully was able, they were able to use that information and extrapolate for something that's closer to the closer to the ground. But it is, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, something like that could, could uh, get pictures a lot quicker than, than the, than the rovers and, and cover more ground as the, as the, mm-hmm. uh, as crow f- flies and, it's really interesting. So, so it docks with the rover to recharge, yeah, or does okay? I would imagine so. Or it actually, I think it has its own like. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the phrase. Solar powered panels on it, so I think it may mm-hmm. have its own charging. So once mm-hmm. it's let loose from from the rover, I don't think it reattaches. Oh, so it operates independently. So it's like a, Correct. a yeah, a, like a spare rover, or not even a rover, a spare. Explorer, device. I guess. <laughs> exactly, Explorer. Yeah. Explorer. Cool. Very cool. And what do you have this week for your spotlight? So, coincidentally, my thing is actually about Mars too. <laughs> not, no. uh, not, 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 not as. No, not at all. So the news isn't as great, but it's still interesting, and and uh, you know, science progresses. So. The article that I that I found was farming on Mars will be a lot harder than the Martian made it seem. So if anyone is familiar with the movie The Martian, with who was the who was the actor? Do you remember? Uh, Matt name? Damon. Matt Damon. So in that movie, he he grows potatoes with basically poop and his his science skills. But there are actually astrobiologists here on Earth that are trying to do actual agriculture and see what that would be like on Mars and they're finding that it's a lot more it's a lot more complicated than that because the soil on Earth has a bunch of microbes in it and it has a, a certain pH balance and it has a, a certain salinity that all contributes to the growth of plants now the soil on Mars or the the earth on Mars is more like crushed rock so they were trying to, scientists are actually trying to simulate the similar soil conditions here on Earth that they have found on Mars from the rovers and other devices that have been sent there to, to simulate what, it, what would it take to actually grow crops on Mars. And they're finding that it's, it's very difficult. One of the, one of the issues, is, as, I, as I mentioned, is that they're, they're microscopic microbes life that actually contribute to the to the growth of plants but in addition to that ph is a lot higher in the soil on mars so they have to account for that and change that as well i'm sure at some point we'll make our way to mars and actually have a a mission there and and maybe even a colony there but we're long there's a long way between now and then because we need to actually figure out how we're going to feed ourselves when we get there Right. And it's not as simple as it is not as simple as it <laughs> exactly. It is it is not it's not going to be as simple as it seems in the Martian. Although I think in the Martian, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, in that movie that the how he was growing was a backup plan, right? They were going to do hydroponics, and he he had to resort to the poop and poop, poop and potatoes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was after the disaster, so he was yeah. kind of doing the best he could. <laughs> And yeah. he started with potatoes, like he rationed potatoes that he had. Right. So I think yeah. that's, that's also different than growing things from just seeds. Right. So it's 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 interesting. I mean, the the, the field of astrobiology is 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 a, 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 an emerging field. There's there's a lot that we don't know, 
that is ripe for exploration. And the rover, like you mentioned, is how we'll get more and more information. Astrobiologists who will probably never be on Mars, the information from those rovers will help them do their work so that people can eventually live on Mars. So that's pretty cool. I'm kind of sad that I won't be alive when that happens. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. So people will be living on Mars? Yeah, I don't think I'll live long enough for that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's going to be space tourism as, as as early as like a couple years from now. So I think that knock on wood will live to see at least astronauts make their way to Mars in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for our seven spotlights for this week. We'll have more next week. folks that's the end of the show this week and remember so you don't miss our next conversation when it drops subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the show you can also help others find our show by giving us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. if you have a comment or suggestion about the show you can also tweet us at openwiselearn we hope you and your family keep safe until next time Bye.